politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to build ourselves a new free country. This is the CR Podcast. Daniel Horowitz back in the house here on Monday, April 12th for another terrific week of broadcast here. And this day in history, 1633, Galileo was arrested by church officials for believing the earth revolved around the sun. Many respects, we are the modern-day Galileos that are being persecuted by the new church, really the only church that actually believes in anything in America anymore, and that is the church of fascism, COVID fascism, transgender fascism, whatever it is, decivilization. This is what we are up against. Now, typically on Monday, we have to go through some of the news that occurred over the weekend that we might have missed, But today we're going to do more of a thematic show. Um, Bookmark this. It's going to be very important. I do have an article out today, a very long column, detailing some of the key citations. But today I'm going to give you the full constitutional natural law case for why it is unconstitutional to criminalize human breath and issue mask mandates to the extent that they've been issued the foundation for what a fundamental rights, uh, civil rights lawsuit needs to look like in federal court, the the rough arguments that need to be made, mixed in with what I believe. So there's what I personally believe the Constitution is, and there is what our case law, our body of case law says about it. Either way, we are covered. Um, It's an argument I've hinted to, I've spoken about a little bit before, but I want to make it more in long form. Um, First off, just briefly to mention before we get back to that, obviously we have more riots and insurrection going on in Minneapolis because of black privilege. Basically, um, every time someone who happens to be black commits a crime, puts police in an impossible situation, uh, they get to kill the cop. But if the cop defends himself to ensure he doesn't get killed, then they get to riot and loot and and maim and harm and nothing happens to them. That is the black privilege. Um, BLM, they are the foot soldiers of the fascists. They are the enforcement wing. Actually, I saw somewhere they had this white Lives Matter rally in Huntington Beach, California. And of course, yeah, BLM, they could beat people up and loot and riot anytime they want, and no other group comes and attacks them. Here, these guys were just peacefully assembling, and they're attacked, and one of them like attacks someone for not wearing a mask. So indeed, BLM really is the enforcement mechanism of the fascists. They are the brown shirts, which is why we have anarchy mixed with tyranny, just like we had in Nazi Germany. Now, today's show is brought to you by uh, Better Spectacles. They offer the best engineered Rodenstock German eyewear for the first time available in the U.S. It's a 144-year-old company that's the world's gold standard for wearing glasses um, with over 500 patents. Fun fact, Ronald Reagan wore Rodenstock. Um, a lot of people, look, they never fit well. They never um, work out well. Often you're told that if you have a high prescription, uh, you got to get used to your progressives. But their expert opticians specialize in difficult prescriptions, astigmatisms, and those who experience problems with progressives. 
Um, one of their specialties is helping those with near and intermediate vision like myself because I'm always reading and my eyesight continues to get worse. Um, go to GoSpecs lenses. So that's that's really Rodenstock's advanced algorithm um, where they, they have more than a, a million patients measuring 7,000 points in their eye. And what they're able to do is get um, a product that gives you 40% better vision and the ability to see without straining your neck. You often don't realize you're doing that a lot. So if you want to get one of those for yourself at a cheap price, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. What's really good is because I need to schedule my appointment and I, I, I was reluctant because I don't want to wear the stupid mask. So here you could do it without leaving your home. Um, but they're not an online company. They are a red, regular, you know, company. They happen to offer quality online consultations, um, and they're offering my audience an introductory sixty-one percent off their GoSpecs lenses, plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. Just visit BetterSpectacles.com/slash-conservative. Go now for the best pair of eyewear you've ever had. So, folks, I want to talk about this fundamental fact. I mean, we're seeing, as always, we're going to spend time this week on all the science and all of the deleterious effects on children and people with disabilities and the hardships that even the WHO recognizes, meaning even if there isn't some crazy destruction of brain cells with um, long-term hypoxia, hypocadmia, um, you know, loss of oxygen, increase in CO2 levels. Everyone agrees there's fatigue, there's cognitive, um, not decline, but I'd say just just it's hard to concentrate, headaches, people have to wear them for a long period of time. There's a lot of effects. And, and anything in life we do in the court system, there's an interest balancing test that if you want to go after a fundamental right, and you could do that sometimes, right? You could lock someone up in jail. You could take away someone's gun if they're a felon. But it's because they're a felon. There has to be a very good reason. You have to show your evidence, show show your work. And it has to weigh against what's called strict scrutiny. The idea of a fundamental right is like, whoa, it's not that the government can't necessarily act in any way on this, but slow it down. Wait a minute. Red light. This is a fundamental right here. Why are you doing this? What's your evidence that this is necessary? What's your evidence that this is the least restrictive means of achieving that 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 interest? Even if you have that interest, does what you're doing outweigh the harm to to the individual and to society? You at least have a discussion. Here we've gone on for a year with the most invasive mandate on human on human a human being's existence without ever really airing this out in court. So what I want to talk about today is aside from it violating statute of OSHA and ADA and anti-discrimination law, it violates the most sacred natural fundamental rights. Now, I first want to begin with a more generalized discussion of fundamental rights and the Constitution and the role of the courts. 
Because a lot of you might question, hey, you know, I've been against for many years the notion of using the courts to create novel rights that aren't exactly spelled out in the Constitution. And who says, you know, even if it's kind of tyrannical and not really just, who says it's fully unconstitutional to the point that a court could grant relief to a plaintiff and basically invalidate that statute, if not overall, because I don't believe in the fact that a court could do that, but at least grant the plaintiff that plaintiff relief from having to abide by it and being um, punitively punished for not following it. Who's to say you could create novel rights? Daniel, where does it say in the Constitution you have the right to breathe freely without it being made difficult, without having to rebreathe your own bacteria trap Rebreathe your own car- carbon dioxide. Who says? And it's a good question. It doesn't specifically spell that out. J- just like, as I say all the time, it doesn't spell out in the Constitution that you have a right to wear clothes. So, for example, if the government said that everyone has to walk around butt naked because we're scared people might be carrying weapons, and this is a way of ensuring that people aren't carrying a weapon. There's a lot of right-wing terrorism going on, right? No BLM, of course. So we have to make sure people aren't carrying weapons. Well, Daniel, where does it say you have a right to close? Obviously, those of you with a modicum of any intellect understand that the Constitution didn't enumerate all of the most fundamental rights because there are certain rights that are so natural and so self-evident from the Declaration of Independence, from the underpinnings of the social compact that they didn't need to be enumerated. So what I want to talk about today is that there are three levels There's two levels of unenumerated rights on either side of the enumerated ones in the Constitution. There's a layer of them that are more fundamental than the ones spelled out in the Constitution. That's like basic bodily integrity. Then, that's level one. Level two are the ones specified in the Constitution. Level three are rights not spelled out in the Constitution that are certainly less. And they range from somewhat legitimate privacy, albeit they're not really constitutional rights and shouldn't be made such, to downright BS affirmative privileges like the right to medicate or something that the left is is, is making a fundamental right. And what I want to present to you today is that our corrupt political and legal system recognizes level three even though it doesn't say in the Constitution, but they won't recognize level one. They'll be like, oh, it doesn't say you have that right in the Constitution. So that's what I want to go through today. And I was reminded by this by looking at a Supreme Court case came out over the weekend, late Friday, for like the fifth time, the Supreme Court, five to four, of course, Roberts joined the left, blocking implementation of a part of California's COVID fascism against religious liberty. This case was holding home-based Bible study and services. So to have, you know, other people from your church community over 10, 20, 30 people in your home to have to pray or to study the Bible together. 
and that's banned under the health department's edict, and the Supreme Court said you can't do that. It didn't meet strict scrutiny. Now, I want to delve into why this set me off over the edge to finally write down what I believe is a constitutional case and use this as the foundation for what we're going to say today. Now, just first, I want to bring you our other sponsor. When you get as mad as I do, your blood pressure is as high, you need to calm down every day. One way to do so is by drinking the best wine grown in the world. Down in Argentina, they make this really dark red wine from Malbec grapes grown at 9,000 feet. They've lab tested these wines, found them to contain up to 10 times levels of longevity and heart health nutrient called resveratrol. Resveratrol is powerful stuff. Pops up again and again in studies on longevity, heart health, and brain health. Again, like, you know, we've been talking a lot about natural things that seem to work for your health a lot more than what Big Pharma offers. They have 90% less sugar, fewer chemicals, fewer additives. Uh, they're also great barbecuing steaks. I love putting them um, on, on barbecue. There's nothing like red wine and red meat. It's my uh, Twitter handle, Red Meat Conservatism. Uh, they have notes of blackberry, leather, cherry, smoke. Go to conservativewine.com. And you can get 50% off their best Malbecs plus 50% off shipping. They're a great gift as well as a gift for yourself. Again, conservativewine.com today. Go to conservativewine.com today to pick up your own best tasting wine in the world. So, folks, I was reading through the opinion. And it jumped out to me. It jumped out to me what the court was saying. They were like, wait a minute. The right to religious freedom is fundamental. The government, quote, has the burden to establish that the challenge law satisfies strict scrutiny. To do so in this context, it must do more than assert that certain risk factors are always present in worship or always absent from the other secular activities the government may allow. That was the language of the per curiam unsigned order so there was no one person who wrote it um but we know it was you know Kavanaugh Amy Barrett Alito Thomas and um Gorsuch and I was like amen finally they're saying like hey fundamental right it's not like you can never do it but it's subject subject to strict scrutiny so you really have to show your work you have to show your work and you can't just assert pandemic well, wait a minute. 12 months later, how do you do this? So at least you have to have a case about, wait a minute. Does your stuff even work? Does it even make a difference? Does it weigh against the fundamental right? And this was great. But at the same time, I found myself frustrated as hell that they keep doing these narrow things. It's like only religious liberty. And let me ask you a fundamental question that's come up a lot throughout this whole thing. They put us under house arrest last year. House arrest. You can't move. Restrain your liberty. Restrain human breath. Gagging your mouth like a rape victim. Really, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use that analogy because that's what it is. And we couldn't get any lawsuits. The only time we succeed is, oh, oh excuse me. I, I need to have my services. 
And, and again, I mean, look, I, I have services every day, not just every week. I'm not making fun out of that. I'm, I'm as religious as, as anyone. Oh, I have to go to the gun range. There was actually a success, su- successful case in Virginia. It's like you could lo- put someone under house arrest for everything else. But, uh, oh, it says guns in the Constitution. So, oh, I have a right to go to a gun range. And again, you know me. I take our audience out to front site. I'm the biggest guns and God guy around. But the notion that somehow they could put us under an even more severe lockdown of restraint of basic movement. And somehow we have no way of inveighing against that, of hitting against it legally to get relief as an individual for fundamental rights unless we find some specific random thing enumerated in the Bill of Rights is absurd. Because this stuff is even more fundamental. Let me ask you a question. What is more fundamental? To be able to breathe freely or move freely unrestricted? Or to go to a gun range? Or to have 30 people in your Bible study at home? Remember, they're not saying you can't study the Bible or you can't pray. You couldn't go to a church or have you know certain capacity. Don't get me wrong, that does, in my view, it violates the Constitution. Of course it does. But is that, which one is more of a fundamental right? Senator Howard, Jacob Howard, who wrote the 14th Amendment, a big part of it, he was the Senate Judiciary Committee chairman. He was from Ohio, 1866. He said the following. When he wanted to explain what is a fundamental right, A fundamental right lies at the basis of all society and without which a people cannot exist except as slaves subject to despotism. It doesn't really apply for a couple weeks you can't go to a gun range or that you can't pray in a group with the exact way you want. I mean, you could say it does, but if it does, certainly being able to breathe and a two, three, four-year-old work without having your nose and mouth covered. I can't think of anything more than that degree of bodily autonomy. Remember, I'm going to say this theme over and over. The most fundamental right, as Clarence Thomas always says, is freedom from, not right to. In other words, I want to walk in locomotion without restraint, I want to be able to just my natural existence. I'm not even asking for anything. I'm not asking to have access to anything, to be able to do anything. I just want to breathe. You can't get anything more fundamental that without it, you can't exist other than slaves subject to despotism. Jacob Howard said this with regard to voting rights. Could you really not live freely if you don't vote? He said it's a force of positive law. And he's right. It's close to a fundamental right. It's a strong positive law, but positive law nonetheless. So to understand, I have this quote in my book from James Wilson, one of the greatest founders, the crafters of Article 3 of the Constitution. Laws may be unjust, may be unwise, may be dangerous, may be destructive, and yet may not be so unconstitutional as to justify the judges in refusing to give them effect. Okay, so there are certain things that I am a very strong believer that you got to deal with in the political process. That you can't go to a court and say, 
yeah, well, yeah, it's kind of stupid. Probably shouldn't do that. But it's not unjust. But then there's things that are so unjust, they're even more unjust than the things enumerated in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights. Well, Daniel, it's not really enumerated. I, I'm a strict constructionalist. The ultimate strict constructionalist is James Madison. Let me explain to you the role of the Bill of Rights. The notion that courts could only look at the Bill of Rights is absurd because James Madison's original design was not to have a Bill of Rights. Let, let's say the original design before the compromise with the Anti-Federalists. What, so government could do anything you want? You couldn't claim a right in a court? No, they had it from dating back to English common law. There were certain understood rights. That's why it says the right to assemble, the right to bear arms, the, the an article. It's addressing a known pre-existing right that predated the Constitution. It's natural law. It's self-evident truths. Among them are some of the things stated in the Bill of Rights, but among them are some things that are so obvious, they're even stronger, they didn't even need to be stated. Because at the end of the day, you could live without going to a church, you could live without assembling to protest, I mean, you could live without it. Certain court procedures that are mentioned in the 4th, 5th, 6th Amendments, you could live without them. It's not like you can't live without double jeopardy, but nonetheless, they're fundamental enough that you could say these still are natural law, and were enumerated. But then there's things like, could government strip you of your clothes? Bodily integrity. Force you to wear a medical device, not just a yellow star on your shoulder, but on your mouth and your nose, and, and when you engage in rigorous sports and exercise as a child, or or a 10-hour shift in a hot laundry mat, laundromat or, or cooking somewhere in a, in a restaurant, there's nothing more than that that's obvious. So I want to make it very clear, I'm not suddenly joining the left's Ninth Amendment, unenumerated rights, right to privacy. I'm going to get to that in a minute. How certainly, if you use their level three, certainly the fact that this is not mentioned in the Constitution is a right by a mile. But I'm saying even under my design as a constitutionalist, this is natural law that's greater than the rights specified. The right to breathe is greater than the right to go to a gun range or to have a certain type of service with amount, a certain number of people and a certain capacity. There's nothing more fundamental than bodily integrity. The right to breathe freely. You could say it's the Fourth and Eighth Amendment, by the way. You could put it in there easily, and it would jive with our case law, and we'll talk about that. Not to uh, unreasonable search and seizure, seizure of your body, cruel and unusual punishment. Now you might say, well, Daniel, it's not a punishment. They're not trying to do a punishment. They're just trying to stop a pandemic. It doesn't matter. We have tons of case law applying the Eighth Amendment like that, even when they're not trying to do it as a punishment. But what I'm trying to tell you is it's more fundamental than even putting it in the Fourth and Eighth Amendment, which I think does need to be claimed in a lawsuit. It's more fundamental than that. It's the basic definition of individual liberty, the word liberty. The word liberty doesn't connote you can't be subject to double jeopardy or not to house soldiers in your house, Third Amendment, or you know what I mean? Even certain things in the First Amendment. 
right to petition. That's not the, literally the word of, of, of individual liberty. What the word is, as defined by Blackstone, is, this is in commentaries one, like kind of 125, 130, 131. It's the power of locomotion, of changing situation, of removing one's person to whatsoever place one's own inclination may direct without imprisonment or restraint unless by due course of law. Well, Daniel, we're not putting handcuffs on you, but William Blackstone explained the right to personal security includes, quote, a person's legal and uninterrupted enjoyment of his life, his limbs, his body, and his health, as well as the preservation of a man's health from such practices as may prejudice or annoy it. That's a lot stronger than even what we're talking about, which is more of a slam dunk of your nose and mouth. Remember, restraining your hands is not as bad as restraining your nose and mouth, usually, in most situations. That is a restraint beyond belief. It's also personal health, bodily integrity, government forcing you to put on a medical device. There's one thing you say, it's a limited number of persons, only when you have certain symptoms, only under certain circumstances. But to do it always, anywhere, to work, to shop, to obtain goods and services, we, we've, we do this all the time in society, in the court system. We call that basic living. That if you can't basically live, some places it's even outdoor man- mandates, so you can't live and breathe and get vitamin D without having to restrain yourself in the most severe way and and compromise your bodily integrity, even if we could debate what we don't know about what this does to a body. But what is obvious it does is severe enough. So this notion that, oh, I, I need to find a gun or a religious liberty case to militate against a lockdown or a lockdown of your nose and mouth. Either you're restricting your... No, the restricting the movement itself is more fundamental than a right to any particular circumstance. This is the most... You, you get what I'm saying? The, a fundamental right at its bare minimum is a negative. It's when government wants to do a positive on your negative state of being. Not that, hey, I want access to this. Government's not allowing me the access. I want to go to church, government shutting my church. I mean, that is a fundamental right. But what's even more fundamental, don't tell me it's less because it's not in the Constitution, is my right to move unrestrained, unrestricted, be secure in my limb, my health, my body. That's Blackstone. That's what the word liberty at its core means. It didn't have to say that. So if I ask you where in the Constitution does it say that you have a right to go unmasked or for government not to criminalize your breath, well, it's the same place where it says you have the right to go wearing clothes and government can't take your clothes away from you. Or government can't force you to wear a condom or something like that. Or wear any other medical device. It doesn't even need to be said. The fact that people haven't made the argument from day one is because we forget who we are. We forget what fundamental rights are. 
because we forget the source of those fundamental rights. So that's that's the story here. Now, obviously, you know, it's one thing to mandate masks for a limited time on certain people in certain places. For example, people have clear symptoms or healthcare settings, mass transit, but to mandate them indefinitely in order to move freely to obtain vital goods and services, basically live life in any way, violates the most basic individual liberties that never needed to be enumerated. Okay? That is the story here. That is the story. Some rights are so fundamental. They're so natural, so inalienable that they need not be written. Breathing without a dangerous bacteria and carbon dioxide trap over our mouths is a pretty obvious one. Okay? And I just want to tie this back into Madison. This was Madison's concern about the Bill of Rights. I, I say it every year when we, uh, you know, on the anniversary of ratification of the Bill of Rights, I say I oppose the Bill of Rights. Not that I oppose the content of it, but the concept of, of crafting it. I agree with Madison's original design. Now, Madison, you know, at the end of the day, they were concerned about it. The anti-federalists were concerned, and he felt he had to make this compromise. Why did he oppose it? Now, some reason why he opposed it is because he felt once you reopen it to making the Bill of Rights, they'll amend other things that the anti-federalists didn't like either. But he was worried on substantive grounds as well. Madison believed that we all understood from the history of common law and being godly people and living freely, really, since the 1620s, the state constitutions... First Bill of Rights was actually written in uh, my home state of Maryland in 1639, or Declaration of Rights, I would say. We understood what those rights were. If you enumerate them, it opens it, oh, it opens up the Amelia Bedelia court game. Oh, so it's only this in this situation. Number one, it means only what's enumerated, not what's not. Number two, it gives the impression that it comes from government, that you have to express it not coming from God. There's a forgotten statement from Madison that I want to read to you that a lot of people don't know about that beautifully expresses this sentiment, and I think you could see 230 years later why he was right. The fact that we added, we subtracted, the fact that we wrote a uh, Bill of Rights it made it, oh, okay, only if you go to a gun range. We could basically rape you, but you could own a gun while we're doing it. Like, huh, what? I mean, that's how you have such absurd outcomes. We have fascism with the greatest gun ownership ever in this country and church attendance. What? Like, that, that's, that was the cherry on the cake. It's like getting the cherry without the cake. They had to mention the cherry. The cake was obvious. So you, you can't put people under arrest cover their, put a bag over their head. But even as Madison was introducing the Bill of Rights on the floor of the House on June 8th, 1789, you could tell he still had misgivings about it. He went through his objections because he didn't want to look like he was, you know, just intellectually dishonest. 
you know, because I mean, really, he didn't believe in it, but he was doing it to, you know, because it was it was a pragmatic compromise and it was worthwhile given where the country was. You know, he had a lot of correspondence back and forth that previous year with Thomas Jefferson when Jefferson was in France. You know, Jefferson, being more of an anti-federalist, was very concerned. He wanted the Bill of Rights. But one of the objections that Madison went over, he said, is that by enumerating particular exceptions to the grant of power, it would disparage those rights which were not placed in that enumeration, and it might follow by implication that those rights which were not singled out were intended to be assigned into the hands of the general government and were consequently insecure. Brilliant. I mean, that literally speaks to today's fallout. Well, where's it say? Government can public health lock you down. Now, mind you, even if um, you know government could do this, they're doing it without due process, showing that you're a threat or anything. It violates the 14th Amendment, violates the 5th Amendment. And again, it is a legal search, search and seizure. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't apply the 8th Amendment in my version of the Constitution, but in the case law we have, I think there's a case to be made. So it is there, but... The point is, this is exactly what Madison meant. Now, Madison said, it is one of the most plausible arguments I have heard urged against the admission of the Bill of Rights into the system. But he answered it by saying he felt he guarded against it with the last clause of the fourth resolution. Now, you might say, what's the fourth resolution? That's the original structure. It wasn't 10 amendments. It was a few resolutions. It eventually became the Bill of Rights. But when he introduced it in, and, and it went to the House committee, he introduced it in resolutions. So what was the last clause of the fourth resolution? It was very strong language. Quote, the exceptions here or elsewhere in the Constitution made in favor of particular rights shall not be construed as to diminish the just importance of other rights retained by the people or as to enlarge the powers delegated by the Constitution, but either as actual limitations of such powers or as inserted merely for greater caution. That's a very wordy, unambiguous, categorical, strong statement. Now, those of you who know the Constitution, that does not exist in any of the Bill of Rights. Now, you might notice a little bit of of it, the spirit of it, is the Ninth Amendment, but it's much weaker than that, right? The Ninth Amendment is not as strong. You know, the power is not delegated to government or retained by the people, you know. So that's one argument. I wanted to just give you the fundamentals. It's crazy. We're already 35 minutes in, and I didn't even get to the meat and potatoes yet. But this is why it is, if this is not a fundamental right, I don't know what is. The Supreme Court in 1891, Union Pacific Railway Company versus Botsford. No right is held more sacred or is more carefully guarded by the common law than the right of every individual to the possession and control of his own person, free from all restraint or interference of others, unless by clear and unquestionable authority of law. Right? You have search and seizure in the Fourth Amendment, but you don't really have anywhere that you have the right to bodily integrity. 
The reason is because it's so obvious built into common law, built off of natural law. Again, not all common law was free. America was made freer than Great Britain, obviously. But there were, but as Jefferson wrote in the notes on the, on the state of Virginia, we adopted the freest principles of common law, and we built upon that and made the American system. And this certainly was one of them, bodily integrity. Now, folks, I always talk about negative rights and positive rights. Well, well, actually, let's hold that thought. I want to make one other point on natural rights, not enumerated in the Constitution, but still justiciable in a court, and people have a right to claim them at least as an individual. Okay? And also, I want to talk about what one of those natural rights are and why I think that specifically applies here, and that is ex post facto, making retroactive laws. A lot of people think the landmark case of, you know, a court's power to look at the constitutionality of a law is um, Marbury versus Madison. But really, five years or earlier is where it was established in Calder v. Bull, 1798, written by the Chief Justice Samuel Chase at the time. And this had to do with, it, it, it was really multifaceted. A lot of different questions were involved. One of them was, you know, ex post facto retroactive law made by the Connecticut legislature. And I believe the court ultimately ruled in that case it wasn't a problem. But it's a natural law. Why is it natural? Because you can't tell someone that their existence, having lived lawfully, could somehow retroactively be criminalized, right? That's natural law. You you retroactively <coughs> criminalize their state of being. <clears throat> Samuel Chase wrote, an act of the legislature, and then he wrote in parentheses, for I cannot call it a law. He calls it an act. You know, I always say, I hate when they say, you know, I'm, I'm about to get on a plane today. Federal law says you have to wear a mask. There, it's not even the legislature. It's, it's, it's an executive edict. But he said even, even legislative acts, contrary to the great first principles of the social compact, cannot be considered a rightful exercise of legislative authority. And he was talking about ex post facto laws. If you make something ex post facto, that violates the first principles of the social compact. It cannot be exercised. To maintain that our federal or state legislature possesses such powers, if it had not been expressly restrained, would, in my opinion, be a political heresy altogether inadmissible in our free Republican governments. In other words, obviously, it, it, it does state in Article 1, Section. 10 that uh, the feds or and, and even the state cannot make, make retroactive right ex post facto laws but his point is let's say they didn't write that in the constitution what then you could do it no of course not that's why according to madison's original design we wouldn't have had the entire bill of rights daniel you mean they could do a legal search and seizure and they could you know prevent you from being a Christian or uh, take away your God? No. That was known at the time. It was known for many years, a lot of it even from common law. So don't tell me that even as originalist, strict constructionist conservatives, that there's nothing ever that's not enumerated that we wouldn't believe is justiciable. Of course there are. Of course there are. Now, once I'm on this topic, I do want to say <clears throat> that I do believe 
that I think you could apply ex post facto as another case here too. That in itself applies to masking. Calder v. Bull defined ex post facto as making an action done before the passing of the law and which was innocent when done, criminal. Well, folks, we were all born as humans and are forced to live and obtain vital services. We're also forced to breathe against our will by God. It's one thing to force someone to wear a mask, again, for a limited time, place, or scope. But to do so the way they're doing it, essentially, for all of life, for a school to be in school, for whether you're healthy or not, whether you had the vaccine or not, you can never get out of it. You're retroactively criminalizing human existence that predated COVID. That needs to be fleshed out, that argument, a little bit. But I think there's a little bit of ex post facto involved in that. That's my case. But folks, this is level one. Enumerated rights are level two, as I call it. Then there's level three of just BS made up rights that the courts have made up for years, this right to privacy. You have the right to access certain things. Again, we're not asking to do an action. We're just walking in locomotion. Government is criminalizing our existence. They're forcing us to take an action against our body. But the courts have said for years that the right to health, health autonomy, bodily integrity allows me to even have access to affirmative things. I get access to birth control. I get access to a physician-assisted suicide. Okay? You can tell me I can't live without it? As much as breathing? No. So certainly, certainly under our existing case law of unenumerated rights pertaining to bodily integrity and privacy and health autonomy certainly preclude this. Now, I've already spent so much time going through this that I don't have time to really unpack this. Our line of cases of Griswold and Eisenstadt and and Roe, obviously, and, and Doe, which was around the time of Roe, um, but I do want to say that you hear a lot of talk about Jacobson. Jacobson. You know, the forced mandatory vaccination case of 1904. First of all, they don't understand the case. It, does, it wouldn't apply to all healthy people indefinitely all the time, wearing a mask everywhere, right? It wouldn't cover that anyway. But that predated Roe v. Wade, all this stuff that they created. It's like going for Plessy v. Ferguson or Dred Scott over Brown v. Board of Education. It's like they have all this newfangled stuff that's God's gift to the world in the legal system, but suddenly when it comes to this, they literally repeal Roe. What they're saying with vaccines and mask mandates is repealing Roe. First, we mentioned the Packingham case. This is a case in North Carolina just a couple years ago where government said that the right to access social media is so fundamental that even if a state has a very legitimate interest in blocking a convicted, convicted, with due process, pedophile. So it's not like, I think you're a threat. We had the due process. We know you're a threat. Blocking him from accessing social media. They're like, that's fundamental. That, 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 that's so fundamental. You can't live without it, they basically said. 
Look at the degree of rights that they added. Think back to Howard Jacobs' definition of what a fundamental right is. All these positive things that they made negative rights. And then, of course, we have all of the bodily autonomy cases. And, um, again, it starts with Union Pacific Rail v. Botsford, 1891, which was before Jacobson, even. So there was a woman who was injured on a rail car. And basically, in the course of litigation, the rail company wanted her to submit to an examination. You know, to, to, I guess to prove certain things. That, you know, the way she, how, how she was injured, you know, what, what was the extent of her injury. And the court said no. The court said, no right is held more sacred or is more carefully guarded by the common law than the right of every individual in the possession and control of, of his own person, free from all restraint or interference, to be let alone, was not just a liberty interest to be balanced against governmental interests, but a complete immunity. It uses the word complete immunity. So actually, you could make the argument that bodily integrity is never subject to a interest balancing test, meaning that the government could never even have, even under strict scrutiny, go after that. So even if you want to tell me, okay, the pandemic maybe is different, but it would still be at least subject to strict scrutiny. And again, there, it wasn't like government saying, you woman is a threat, take off your clothes and let me examine you. It was like she wanted to sue for damages, so they wanted to say, look, if you want that, well, we then we want to be able to examine you. right? It's not like they were forcing that upon her just to exist. It was in order to, to litigate it. Remember, here... We're not asking for anything. I just don't tase me, bro. I want to live. It's the most basic natural right you could ever think of. But nonetheless, we had Griswold. That was the birth control case. Justice William Douglas writing the majority opinion. Famous, famous, famous landmark opinion. The First Amendment has a penumbra where privacy is protected from government intrusion. The famous words. In his concurrence, famous concurrence, Justice Arthur Goldberg wrote... He was trying to make the case that the Ninth Amendment is unenumerated rights, covers, um, you know, marital intimacy. The, he says that it, the Ninth Amendment has the concept of liberty, embraces the right of marital privacy, and that right of privacy is a fundamental personal right. Again, marital privacy. Now, mind you, it's not like government is, this is much more severe because it's not like government was altering your body and saying, I don't like the opposite. I don't want you to have kids and you can only have sex with a condom or something. You have to wear a condom. That's the equivalent of what government's doing today. It's just, hey, we're just denying access to birth control. No, I want access to birth control. I have a right to access birth control. That's what they were saying. Well, that, that you're kind of asking for a positive thing. Okay, is that really in the Constitution? Is that really a natural right? We would argue no, but the court argued yes. If that is the case, then certainly, certainly, this is privacy. But then, of course, as we well know, they use the right of privacy in Roe v. Wade to say you could kill a baby. It's my body to the point I can not only just maybe possibly asymptomatically 0.0001% be a threat to someone, and maybe, maybe 0.01% the mask would help. It's 100%. I could directly stick a fork in the baby's head. This baby, I could point to it. I have a sonogram of it. I could name it. 
It's not a speculative, unidentifiable person. You might be a health risk, too, by not wearing a mask. I could kill the baby because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, as uh, what's-his-name Blackman wrote in, in the majority opinion in Roe v. Wade, personal, marital, familiar, and sexual privacy is said to be protected by the Bill of Rights. The abortion decision in all its aspects is inherently and primarily a medical decision. Medical decisions are up to you, even if you you kill a baby, okay? But a medical decision, you mean to tell me? I, again, I don't understand how nobody has brought a lawsuit like this. I have the right to my own medical decisions, my own personal body. Well, it's a pandemic. You you could affect other people. Really? More than abortion? And again, even if that were true, but it's at least subject to litigation and and um disclosure and discovery and. You know, okay, show me, how how am I a threat? So then we're going to have to go over the evidence on asymptomatic spread. We're going to have to go over the evidence on mask efficacy. When and where, under what circumstance, and balanced against how severe that circumstance is. Okay, you want me to wear it here, but not outdoors playing sports, right? At least something. You might be able to say you're a threat to others, so we could go after it. But the point is, what I'm trying to say today is, they're trying to say it's not a fundamental right, so it's just rational basis. The government just has to pass a rational basis test. It's not true. It is a fundamental right, certainly the way we believe, and certainly, certainly the way our case law views medical decisions, health autonomy, bodily integrity, right? But that's the thing. You have a right to a specific, and not only that, you have the right to access a physician, and the phys- a physician that has certain, I mean, you look at, all of the cases expanding it. You can't even burden that right in any way. <laughs> Imagine if we applied that to bodily integrity. You can't burden someone with any of the COVID fascism. Right? So it's not just that we're not going to throw you in jail for getting an abortion. It's that we can't even put like basic healthcare standards on the uh, clinics and the um, you know certification of the doctors performing it. We have all those cases the last 10, 15 years. So I have a right to access it. Again, as Clarence Thomas always said, he said this in Obergefell, in the American legal tradition, liberty has long been understood as individual freedom from governmental action, not as a right to particular governmental entitlements. Nonetheless, they view the latter as right, so certainly the former is. Then we had, in 2003, Lawrence v. Texas. That's the sodomy case. Anthony Kennedy wrote for the majority, the state cannot demean their existence or control their destiny by making their private sexual conduct a crime. Well, think of how they're demeaning the existence of people who are in pain and have trouble breathing under a mask and are controlling their destiny in the most sensitive parts of their body. Glucksburg, Glucksburg, 1997. That was the assisted suicide case. It lists bodily integrity as a fundamental right under the 14th Amendment. And again, there it was, I have the right to do a, take an action and get a physician-assisted suicide. And government can't regulate that. That's more like an action. We're asking for an inaction. You, government's taking the action against us, saying you have to put the thing on your body. Much stronger. A person certainly has more of a right and a compelling human need to breathe without oxygen reduction and rebreathing their own toxins left on the mask than they have to engage in sodomy. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, I know sodomy is very important, and I know, you know, there's nothing greater than that in our society. I I, I get it. But, you know, no human being could look at me with a straight face and say, I have a fundamental right to sodomy because I can't live without 
other than without other than you know with tyranny and despotism if i can't do sodomy but i can't live without tyranny breathing without covering my face it is truly shocking and again it's not to say that if masks would be effective in certain circumstances for certain people they couldn't mandate it under our existing case law but you would at least have to have a court case over that and have to sh- we'd be we'd be able to debate the evidence to just out of hand, they could do whatever they want endlessly, and this is not a right. It's not. It, it, it flies in the face of everything the courts themselves have said. So this is where we are, folks. I could go on and on, but we've gone late. But I'll just leave you with this quote. A friend of mine sent me uh, from Daniel Webster and Wilkinson v. Leland. So he, he, he was an attorney. He, he wasn't the judge. It's not the opinion. But he said it in the arguments in, in Wilkinson v. Leland. Um, was that 1810, I think? Though there may be no prohibition in the Constitution, the legislature is restrained from acts subverting the great principles of the Republican liberty and of the social compact. We always understood that. The notion that you have to have some Amelia Bedelia literal, very specific thing to point to like, oh, a gun range. Like you could shut everything down, but you can't shut it down a church or a gun range. No, you can't shut people down. I mean, that's for sure. But you might think that maybe these things aren't always protected, so they put it in there. They want to make sure it's protected. I don't know. What if they say, we think it would help make people healthier from spreading COVID if a government agent gets to sodomize any any citizen they want. Well, where does it say you have a right not to be sodomized in the Constitution? I mean, maybe you might say it's a religious objection, but is that religious service? Is that Second Amendment? Is that an illegal search and seizure? I'm not, I'm not searching and seizing you. Is that cruel and unusual punishment? I'm not punishing you. I'm just stopping the spread of COVID. You see what I'm saying there are certain things that it's just like, dude, it's bodily integrity to its greatest sense, in its greatest sense. I want you to know this is how I feel even if we wouldn't have had this body of Roe v. Wade, Griswold case law that as conservatives we don't believe in. But certainly the fact that you have that, this is true by a mile. Don't let anyone ever tell you a government can do this to you. They can't take away what's in our heart. And we know We have rights. The ability to breathe is the greatest among them. They can't take that from us. Now, folks, we're way out of time. I got to run and catch a flight. So I didn't get to any of the news of the day. But this needs to serve as the foundation for a lawsuit. There's people that I'm sure are much smarter than I am. I'm giving the layman's broad philosophical political case. But there, there should be people that could put this into a brief, um, you know, by a mile. So many more. I mean, the, 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 if you would take out the stuff that that government has said about bodily integrity, because I mean, a lot of a lot of times there were these cases about access to certain life saving drugs or even drugs that were dangerous. But it's my body, my choice. And again, it's like it's not like we're doing anything to your body. You're the one who wants access to something. We don't, as a, as a country, as a state government, we don't think this is appropriate or, or, or safe. So we want to deny that access. 
bodily integrity included the right to something. Certainly it includes the freedom of restraint from an action taken against your body. I don't understand how this has gone this far. We need to bring a federal lawsuit in a good district within the 5th or 8th Circuit and at least tee it up. At least we should win partially. A two-year-old, a three-year-old literally cannot live with a mask. They're incapable. It's like requiring a mask. Imagine, let's say government said any three-year-old in order to, I don't know, go to a store needs to um, pass a spelling test. Well, they're they're physically incapable of doing that. I mean, that, that, that violates bodily integrity, human liberty to walk in a state of being without restraint beyond belief. So we've gone long. We've definitely gone long here, folks. Send me your comments, questions, and concerns to drhurts at blazemedia.com. Again, we're going to get back to conaction.network and building our liberty teams. I've been a little bit behind. Um, we're going to talk more about state legislatures, what's going on. We'll talk about the Chauvin case, the rioting is going on. Lots more. Send this show to everyone you know. Give us a five-star rating at iTunes. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. Stay informed, stay knowledgeable, and keep the faith with God.